This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hi, welcome to Spice Bags, where three opinionated ladies dish about international food in Ireland. Our podcast comes in several flavors, deep dives into a country, interviews with people who are engaged with the international food scene, and Spice Bags chats, where we three take a delicious topic and discuss it in the context of our own different upbringings. Today, I am so excited to be here with Ali Dunworth. If you don't know Ali... You're missing out because Ali is a food consultant, writer, curator, host. She's basically the person that could organize a party anywhere with any budget, <laughs> make it successful, and also write about it. So we kind of hate her, hate her behind her back, too. Anyway, hi, Ali. How are you? Oh, thank you, Blanca. That is an incredible intro, and I might steal it, I think. <laughs> anyway, tell us, you're working on a new festival like, as if you don't do enough, you're also working on a new festival with our co-host, Dee Laffan. I am. And yeah, it's happening in on St. Patrick's weekend in the Smithfield Fruit, Veg and Flower Market in Dublin. And it's called Mield Flower. And it's very much a celebration of Irish food in like the most fun possible way we can make it. It looks incredible. And what does Mield Flower mean? Um, it's like a phrase okay. so you might maybe a term of endearment so okay. because it used to be the flower market and you might call someone Miel Flower and I've noticed that over the last few weeks all my emails are subject title is Miel Flower and it feels really nice oh, like I'm calling okay. everyone Miel Flower all day Okay so this is a very exciting new um, uh, venture and I've always wondered why don't Ireland do more events like this because sometimes there's too much of a reliance on music or dance but food there's so so many exciting things so I'm really excited to go uh, but today Ali and I are talking about Spain and specifically we're talking about Asturias we were very lucky to go on a trip with uh, Ethix this is the commercial office of Spain and Asturex who promote products from Asturias um, Ali hadn't been there before. I'd been there vaguely a couple of times driven through and Asturias is very well known in Spain because it's very mountainous and it's very famous for cheese. But um, I think we were struck by how similar it was to Ireland. Like you kept on saying, this looks like my land. Yeah. You get very patriotic the minute you leave the country, don't you? Yeah. And I think especially when we're on press trips with um, journalists from all different countries, you're like, well, in Ireland we have this. But it really felt like that in Asturias. When I was going, I told my friend that lives in Madrid and he's Irish. And he said to me, it's basically the West of Ireland in Spain and you're going to adore it. And it was. And I think that's a really... Uh, a high bar to set to say something is like the West of Ireland because it's so special but Asturias has the same vibe like yeah. it's like you found a little secret like it still feels undiscovered yeah and um, as a matter of fact Ryanair have started flying there recently which is amazing so get your tickets people yeah. now and yeah. I, we'll be recommending it for trips because I think that we were talking about this earlier, but something that struck me was an Irish person, our vision of Spain or what we think of is very Mediterranean, sun-drenched beaches, sipping sherry, like quite arid, dry, but it's the opposite. It's very green and lush and it's not as warm. And I certainly don't like really hot heat in the summer and I know loads of people that don't. So it is a good like in-betweener. For it's a holiday. really good. And also, um, one thing I felt is the people are also so different and they're more Irish. And I felt like you had grabbed some guys from Madrid 
and some guys from Ireland and you put them in a cocktail shaker and then you get a studious <laughs> guys. But they were so Irish, weren't they? They were, they were, very, everyone was very relaxed and friendly. And had beards. Everyone had beards. But also, so the minute you mentioned you were Irish, they were so keen to hone in on that connection. They were like, we're Celtic country too. And they'd let you know all the kind of stuff that we have in common. Yeah, no, I, I really loved it. And, and I thought it was just like a, a different alternate universe. If Ireland was wouldn't have separated from the continent, it would be right very close to Galicia and Asturias. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, let's start by talking. Uh, we went to Madrid Fusion, which is a very famous food conference. And we had a lot of fun, visited all the stands, did a lot of the demos. And we also went to Madrid Wine Edition. It was fascinating. But I think when we went to the Asturias food stand which was hosting the food, we were just blown away. They did such a fantastic job with the food and the cheese. It was beautiful and there was a lot of cheese and I think we were tasting the cheese there and then I made the connection, okay, this is where we're going. I'm getting excited for the food. I mean, you're always excited for Spanish food, but the cheese was something really special and they were also pouring the cider. So we'll talk lots about those are the two kind of big, I think, food moments when you go to Astoria's. Yeah, it was kind of like being introduced there and then saying like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that I'm actually going to go to these places. And there were some cookbooks um, that had some of the places like famous cider houses, Cidrerias. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's so exciting that we're going to go to all these places. But um, anyway, we got a plane to Oviedo, which is the capital. And Oviedo is just beautiful. I think when you landed, what struck me was the mountains. The mountains. And you were like, look out your window in the hotel and beautiful, like lush, green mountains all around the city. And the city itself was really clean and really beautiful. And one of those cities that I always say, I love when a city feels like an open air museum. Like you could just walk around there and that's like enough for you. Mm. There's loads of old buildings. There's loads of very historical buildings and lots of statues. They have lots of statues. Sculptures, yeah, with people showing their butts. I don't know why that is. Yeah, there was a bum one that we walked past a few times. That's a big trend. I don't know if you know uh, a painter (laughs) called Botero. He's Mexican. He always paints these like fat bums and fat people. But they, they seem to have... To really like that in Oviedo, it's it's interesting because everybody was so thin. So <laughs> maybe it's because they never see big bumps. Um, so the first night we went to this cidreria, and I just want to tell tell you and and Ali about my experience of cider. So when I was a teenager, my biggest dream was to have Asturian cider. So there's a very famous brand in in, okay. in Spain called Cidreria. No, perdón, Sidra el Gaitero. And it's uh, it's the man who plays the bagpipes. Mm-hmm. And this brand was, well, was, is everywhere. And it's a very sweet kind of <laughs> champagne-y, cava-like um, sidra, like mass-produced, but lots of fun. And I remember that I didn't feel grown up until my parents let me have some of that sidra. So I always associate, you know, Christmas and holidays with my family having a little sip of, of, of that cider. So obviously when we went to a real like proper cider house, I was just like, it was like fantasy land because, you know, as a teenager, that was something I aspired to. So this was bringing it 
a very high level. What did you think of the ciders? Well, blown away. And even by your description there of like how sophisticated you make cider sound, because as an Irish person, and I we talked about this a bit growing up, it's sort of your first, your drink of choice. It's your entry level drink as a teenager. Well, it was for me. It was in the 90s. And we might start off with like a flag and a devil's bit, which would have been about three pounds. Mm-hmm. It was very much like about the price and about getting a bit drunk. And then when you get more sophisticated, you move on to drinking it in the pub and then you might have a pint bottle of Bulmers poured Mm. over ice and that lovely clink and you might have that in a beer garden. But I mean, I don't like those ciders. You drank them because you had to. This is completely different. And we have more recently, you know, embraced artisan cider in Ireland and some of them are delicious. I love them. But I was amazed that there was this whole cider culture that I honestly hadn't I had heard about it before but hadn't really experienced it and it was amazing it's different cider as well the pour is the big thing the pour is the big that's the the art so we went to Cider Avenue was that what it would be the street yeah there were a lot of cider houses there I think they call it there was another name for it but it was Cider Boulevard so they call it Cider Boulevard and there's loads along it and we went to now I'm just going to say one excuse for my pronunciation for the whole entire podcast because I have very bad Spanish pronunciation. El Ferroviario. Yeah, El Ferroviario, yeah. That's a very <laughs> hard name to pronounce for foreigners. And apparently that was the first cider bar to open on that street. So that yeah. goes back to like 1951. Inside it was beautiful. It was all like old wood. They decorate a lot with the green. They're very distinctive mm, green like, cider bottles. Like Ireland. Yeah, but the green cider bottles are everywhere tiles on the floor there's sawdust because of how they're always pouring the cider and it splashes everywhere beautiful old tiles loads of meat hanging yeah yeah blackboards with maps it was just gorgeous it was really nice but um the so they had made a menu that paired with all the types of cider so the ciders we started off with natural cider so this is the main side the main cider the traditional one so am i right in saying this is what everybody drinks and I don't know. Do you want to explain the pour? It basically, it's it, in Spanish. It's called natural cider, sidra natural, and they pour it to create to aerate the the drink. So you have to drink it straight away when they serve it, and they they pour it from a really high um, height, so it creates the bubbles, and then you're supposed to drink it really quickly. Yeah, so you never get given a bottle of cider to no. yourself or on the table. So the table is drinking it, and your waiter or your cider pourer, he probably has a more official name. There you go. <laughs> Him or her is um, pouring it for you in sips and then you have to drink it straight away. So like yeah. you get so you pissed pretty quickly. Pretty quickly, yeah. I would say I wouldn't be able to go out and drink uh, natural cider too too much because it did hit me like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's such an interesting custom to pour it. So Traditionally, that would have been the the cider that you would have found in other parts of Spain. And normally it didn't have a label. I watched this documentary from the 60s. Actually, I'll share it with you, Ali. And it was like traveling around Spain and none of the drinks had any labeling. It's like incredible because we're, we're accustomed now. Everything has a label. It was just basically cider and wine and olive oil yeah. and whatever. But um, but yeah, this one I like, but it's 
more acidic. It's like stronger and it's the traditional one. But then the next one. But uh, it's it's not carbonated. Yeah. It's not carbonated. And that yeah. was what That's struck. why it's natural. I'd never yeah, yeah. drank non-carbonated cider. So there is a little bit of air when you do the pour. So the pour from a height. But yeah. otherwise it's quite, but it's quite refreshing. And the guy we were eating with kept on talking about how it's specially um, like whets your appetite. Like it's meant to open up yeah, your, taste your taste buds. And they were very passionate about talking about that. Oh I was God, like, they're, they're yes, yes, my taste buds are open. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and then you'd have another it was like drinking shots but yeah. off cider it was delicious but thankfully we only did that for the first few courses and then we moved on to the other styles of cider which is the Sidra de Mesa I, I just want to say that if you are interested in opening a restaurant and serving natural cider you can get a, an electric cider pourer which is like a little electric man that pours it for you so so I have seen this in other parts of Spain <laughs> To save on labor costs, they have these. But we were fully yeah. tradition. Everywhere <laughs> Very we went. Very traditional. They had people. There was someone beside us, <laughs> usually in humans. a flat cap with braces, pouring. Yeah. And, and and very handsome also. very Smiling cute. for yeah. us. Yeah. And, had, and had a beard. Yeah. Um, so then the next one was Sidra de Mesa. And I think that's my favorite one. It's, it's more like in a wine style. I'm not an expert on cider by any means. Uh, I just, I'm a... So it's, it's made it's made in the champagne style. No, that was the Brut, the Sidra uh. de Mesa. It's just they had all these names and I don't think that it's codified. You know, it's no. a kind of like a new cider in Spain. This type of ciders are relatively new. And we'll talk about Samuel Trabanco and how he explained how this is like a huge revolution. But Sidra de Mesa is more like a still wine. And I love that yes, one. Yes, And I love the... The, you know, just the fact that you can pour it yourself. I, I don't know, like I do like pouring it sometimes myself rather than getting up and, you know, creating that aeration. But yeah, Sidra de Mesa was probably my favorite, I, I think, um, out of all the ones we tried. Yeah, and I would have liked the next one, which yeah. was the one made in the champagne style. Yeah. Sidra Brut, or yeah. Which reminded me of Kakagi, which is made in me, the, the cider mill, and he makes a like sparkling cider in the champagne yeah. style yeah. and like you'd seen in a few of the restaurants here I know Alta um, usually have it and they had a special one for their summer house and it was beautiful yeah no I haven't tried the Meath one but I, I, I like that style too but my favourite one would have been Sidra de Mesa and then the last one was Sidra de Hielo the ice where they let the apples freeze and I thought that was really nice yeah and yeah. I, that was really Good. And I think that's fairly new for them yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's, it's a, a new, yeah. and again, there was a parallel with Ireland because Kilahora are a brand that started doing that here a few years ago. And in Spain, they've been doing it for longer, but it's the same thing here where it's made in the same style as the Canadian ice wine. But the Canadian ice wine, you harvest the apples when they're frozen on the ground. <laughs> Obviously, we don't have that and Spain doesn't have that. So you pick the apples and then the heat treatment to get them down to temperature. And okay. it gets that really sweet. Okay. So it's like a, it's a nice dessert wine and you'll see it, the Kilahora on menus yeah. here. I've never seen the Spanish one anywhere here. I don't um, think it's imported at the moment. Like there's not a lot of, but, but they, would, yeah. They were beautiful. They were really nice. And because a lot of them are new, they had like fun labels and we've really we, pretty labels. We found yeah. a few in shops and stuff. They were tasty, really yeah. good with the cheese that we're going to talk about as well. Yeah. But yeah, it was very interesting. That yeah. cider house was just brilliant and that cider street. And with the flights from Ryanair, I just can't believe that everyone's not going here to Oviedo. Mm -hmm. Is that how we pronounce the city? Oviedo? On like 
birthday parties, 30th, stags, Hindus. Could you imagine you just spend the whole day up and down that cider boulevard? Yeah. You have a great time. But even like for kids, like my daughters would love oh, yeah. the whole, because there were a lot <laughs> there were a lot of families also in the cider houses. Yeah. Like it's it's a family place. It's like a pub. You know, you go there, you know the waiters, they're super friendly and you go there and you might not order like a full menu. You might just have the big steak, which was what I was looking at out of the corner of my eye. I was like, oh my goodness, I want, because the kitchen was open. So we were like spying at, at their cooking. Okay. And we're going to talk about the beef in a bit because we went into this cidery, into this restaurant. There was um, a fridge that we could see into that had all the dry aged beef in it. Mm. And there's ham on like legs hanging all over, all over everywhere. Yeah. And that was the same in a lot of the restaurants we went to. They're so proud of their beef. But this dish that kept on going past our eyes that night that we never got to try. We did try it a few days later, but mm. it was co- the cachopo. The cachopo. Well, that's like <laughs> almost gone. Like almost this is cachopo. You know, Asturians are famous for eating, having big appetites, whereas Andalusians, where my mom is from, it, have a, a reputation for not eating. And so it's really funny. They have this thing called cachopo, which is, you know, a lot of people are not, they don't think, oh, this is representative of Asturias. It's a breaded cutlet of veal with cheese and ham inside. But when they serve it, it's like a meter long. Yeah. And you're supposed to eat it. It's like... It was, yeah. we tried it in another restaurant. It was delicious. delicious. I would eat it every day. And this is what <laughs> I would imagine and I suspect Asturian kids eat every night. <laughs> but it's all I wanted. From when we saw it that day, I was thinking about it. Yeah. And we kept on getting, we had so much delicious food that we'll talk about. But like, when you see something breaded, you're like, that's yeah. My it. daughters loved it when we tried it last uh, spring in Gijón. They were like, why don't you make this? And I was like, sorry, I don't have time to make that. It is actually, it takes a while to make it. You have to pound the meat, get the cheese, get the ham, roll, bread it. I'm like, guys, you're not that cool. I'm not making this for you. And the other food we tried there, like it was a nice menu. It was like we had burnt leek, which mm, I no. found that we had in a few of the restaurants. Yeah, We had croquetta, which were delicious. Yeah. We had some mussels. We had some sort of a remel. You remember yeah. that it was like yeah. a like a cod, like a cod in, in between a cod and a, like a remoulade salad. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Which was it was a lovely, it was a very lovely menu paired with the ciders, but they also have traditional food, which would be steak and then you know chorizo cooked in cider, which is one of my favorite like things to, to eat. But um, but yeah, that that menu was lovely. But we went, you know, you think oh now I get a feel for a cidreria, but there's so many of them, and oh, they yeah. all have different styles. So should we talk about the next, the, the Terra Astur? Oh, so that was where we had the dish, the Cachopo. Ca- um, the Terra Astur was an incredible restaurant. And like, again, oh. I would fully recommend anyone to go there. I think that'd be one of your first stops because it felt like oh, yeah. a really good introduction to Asturias. When you walk into this place, it's sort of in a, like, it looks like it's in a shopping centery block. It's a chain, yeah. But then when you walk in, you're kind of blown away. Again, cider bottles decorating it everywhere. It's dark and moody. Loads of ham hanging around. There's like a water feature. Yeah. <laughs> There's loads of tables laid out like a beer hall style. Yeah. But then you have a huge kitchen where they're butchering and making everything from scratch that has a big glass window. There's chefs making the food in front of you. They've got their grill open, making that in front of you. They have the meats piled high, like showing off all the different steaks. Yeah. All the dry aged meat on show. Yeah. Like, and the cheese counter. Yeah. Oh, the cheese counter. It was 
you I you know we were on a time limit because we but you would easily have spent like the whole day the whole day in there yeah and I love it how they've capitalized I, I think cider houses have always been a showcase for Australian products but you would only eat them but they have really said oh no we're gonna sell this and I find it many times I go to restaurants and I'm like oh my goodness if they sold this product I'd buy it oh yeah like even like cutlery you're like I love this cutlery I love this olive oil and they've really, they, they sell, sell everything. everything. <laughs> Their knives, the olive oil. Yeah, this was when I really was happy that I brought that extra bag with me because I yeah. was like, I'm going to bring a bag of food home and I bought a lot of stuff in there. Um, but that place you'd highly recommend. And we, the menu was very, very thick, huge portions. Huge portions. You need to be careful when you order there. And it was yeah. all big platters. So they're all coming past you, like big platters of meat, cheese, seafood, mm. Beautiful chips. Yeah. What were the chips like? They were really good. But there's one thing that this restaurant has brought back, which is corn. Yes. And we were talking about how it felt like a little bit like, what is this tacos? But no, Asturias was one of the first places in Spain that cultivated corn. So they have these things called tortos. Like they they look like tortillas and they put the meat on top of them. They were and, very tasty. And I love that. It was like really like, is this, are they appropriating Mexican food? But no, it's just that they have corn and corn is very traditional, but it had con- kind of like been erased by customs. So apparently the owner of Terra Sur was saying, I want to bring my mom's corn recipes back. So I love that. I thought that gave it like a different touch. And they gave us big hunks is the only word I can use for the way you get served your bread in the story is you get it served at the beginning of every meal big huge bread and it's the corn bread so it's yeah. corn it's like, and wheat it's corn and wheat so it's yellow and you get a big chunk of it and you don't get a bread plate no. you kind of just put your bread on the side now this is a bugbear right no butter. I didn't get served butter yeah. once while I was I, there. You know, you <laughs> and know I assumed known. because it's so similar to Ireland. I was like, where's the butter? Where's the butter? They told me that you don't eat butter except for breakfast. Yeah, no, I found that interesting, too. I think in other regions, butter is much more important. Like even in Castilla León, like the region like underneath, there's a very famous butter from Soria. But in Galicia, you have butter. But yeah, Asturias, they didn't have butter. I was I, like, yeah. I did buy butter in the shop there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah. a tin. I haven't opened it yet. But it's yeah. like in a tin preserved butter. Yeah. Looks great. It looked, that's the one my grandmother always had. And we weren't allowed, we were only allowed to use the cheap olive oil. She was like, no, this butter is special. And it's a little bit, it has like this tang, like it's fermented more than Irish butter. It's really, really lovely. But don't expect to find butter. I would suggest if you're really into butter, you're going to have to bring your own, like little, like, you know, the Kerrygold, like little ones. Yeah. Like I had my Barry's tea with me all yeah, week. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So never butter, go yeah. to anywhere in continental Europe without your tea bags. <laughs> It's just, they're not the same. You need your Barry's tea. <laughs> Ali's getting sponsored by um, Barry's tea. One day, one, one day, day. One day, she's hoping. But the other Cidreria, so we went to three. So now we're um, experts. No, we're not. But um, we got to see three very different Cidrerias. So the third one was Cidreria Trabanco. And we were super lucky when they said, oh, the person who does the tours is not available. The owner is going to do it. I was when we saw him, Ali was saying, oh, my goodness, I feel like I'm in Dingle. Like you were like <laughs> he looked like he was from Cork, Kerry. He looked he could have been Irish. hundred yeah. percent. And the way he was dressed, the yeah. way he was dressed, the way he was talking, just like, yeah, he was really a, a very yeah. sound man and very, very passionate about apple growing cider 
Spain, yeah. all the rest. And he has, uh, this is one of the most well-known uh, cider producers, Cidreria, Cidras Trabanco, and he also has a restaurant near his factory. So he took us on a tour. And the most interesting thing was how Asturias used to grow oranges instead of apples. And they, their, their biggest yeah. market was the UK. But they they're always they always had a tradition of cider, but it wasn't as big. But then in the 19th century, they realized we could make more money if we make uh, if we grow apples. So then all of a sudden, all the oranges were gone, and they started growing apples. But in the orchards, you could see there were still some apple, some oranges and lemons, like really thick-skinned yeah. oranges, yeah, hanging like heavy from the trees yeah. we walked past. And there was obviously apple trees everywhere. But it was such a beautiful part of the countryside because this was like we've left the city now and we've driven to it's the outside. Gijon, another really hard place to pronounce. I was going to say beautiful Gijon, but no, it's what Gijon. So we were outside this this city in the village, and it was in the Lavandiera Valley. Yeah, and it's a mining area. Oh my god, it was so well, my old mining area. Yeah. So lush, like just luscious, luscious green. So green, yeah. I mean, we think we have green. I thought it was greener. Yeah. Well, it rains more. It certainly rained the entire time we were there. <laughs> so bring your bring your coats. Yeah, we, bring your raincoats. So it's just like going to the best of Ireland. Bring the good raincoats. Yeah. But there was apple trees everywhere, and then yeah, heaving lemons and orange trees, and lots of palm trees as well. Um, really nice countryside. Um, and he showed us old. So he built his cider production in an old railway line because you were saying yeah. it used to be the miners so it used to be a coal mining area yeah. so there was a disused railway line that he has now repurposed to make the cider in and it's naturally the perfect temperature yeah. that he needs yeah. which was fascinating so they were like the um, steel it was steel but he also had wood but remember he said he ferments it somewhere else yeah, yeah. and then he had the traditional chestnut barrels which mm -hmm. were huge and we great crack with them because he just opens you know there's a little tap on them like they were ginormous they were the height of a house yeah a small house and he would then like open the tap and you stand there with your cider mm. glass and pour yourself your little sip yourself and it was so. like like a little like the manek and piss like like it was like a little thing that flew over and you had to catch it yeah and Ali did it I didn't do it a big Sorry. like a stream of piss can <laughs> yeah, I say that exactly yeah it's like a stream of piss um, but it was delicious cider yeah and then he set up there for us as well a table full of food like to show us that when they used to have the harvest they used to have the parties because I was like can we have yeah. you could have an amazing party in yeah. these yeah. cellars that he has and they used to certainly do that at harvest time I love the stories he told us about the harvest that they they pick apples from September to December and that they have the people that they employ but also loads of locals come and loads of people come to mm. the village for that time of year and you can just go around yourself picking apples and drop them off to them and they yeah. pay you yeah. and uh, like a couple of the guys we were with Spanish guys said you know one of them his granny lived there and that's what they would do in the summer or the end of the summer they come and make their money yeah. it just felt really like very traditional yeah. and really, really nice. He was fascinating. And the thing is, uh, I think, you know, we always assume that wherever you are, like if I'm in Ireland with somebody and we go to Cork, I assume that everybody understands. But in the same way that I've been to Cork <laughs> with Irish people and they said, I didn't understand what that person said. Uh, Ali was saying, what is he saying? What is he saying? And I was like, I have no idea. Because Samuel speaks in Asturian 
and the the you know the diminutives he uses and the finishings are different. So you know it's it's small things, but instead of semanas, he says semanes, and the way he was talking, I missed a lot. So it's like no, so I had to rely on the translator because. He, he does. There is an actual different language uh, that people speak there, which is similar to Spanish, but different. And then, you know, all the stories he had. He was we were so lucky that he was there. But also everyone was so passionate about the subject of the cider and the apples and it seemed like everyone was going off on tangents in Spanish and disagreeing because we were actually just trying to find out like how many varieties of apples there are. And someone had said there's 500, but then someone had said only 82 are allowed in the... The nomination of origin, yeah. The, do you call it DPO or PGI? Yeah. In English it's PDO, yeah. So the PDO... Um, only 82 varieties of apples are allowed in that. But then there was a big debate about that. Anyway, yeah. it all went over our head. Yeah. I just picked up my cider and sipped on that and had another piece of... That's where we had the chorizo bread. That was amazing. Oh, the pregnant so bread. So these were like... Oh, the pre- is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> they were like little... Um, I'm going to say, and without trying to offend this deliciousness, was like a dough ball you'd get like yeah. at a pizza place but yeah. it had bits of chorizo in it. And oh, then it was so good. You yeah. make them yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I have to say my friend Sophia from Lingotot, who's a, she has a school teaching Spanish, she taught me how to make them in the Thermomix. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but it's so good. And my daughter said to me, can we have this every day in our lunch? And I said, no. But uh, yeah, it's I the dough you- and the chorizo. But you need to get, um, sometimes James Whelan has lovely Iberico chorizo that they make. And if you make, if you use that, then this is like a pregnant bread on steroids. It's so good. They were delicious. Sorry, ladies, I just want to interrupt you for a second um, to tell you a little bit about another podcast that's on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Sissy That Pod is Headstuff's RuPaul's Drag Race recap show, hosted by Keen Sullivan and a special guest co-host, Sissy That Pod break down the latest episode of the Emmy award-winning show after each new episode, an absolute must for all drag race fanatics. Check it out on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Sissy That Pod is a reaction podcast to all things RuPaul's Drag Race. You may have seen the memes or you may have seen the queens, but if you watch the show, then you're going to want to listen to Sissy That Pod. Every week after the TV show airs, we have a new episode with a new guest analysing, speculating and dissecting the show. Who's going to win Snatch Game? Will there be a lip sync Lala Perusa? Who's going to be crowned Miss Congeniality? These are all big questions in our world. I'm currently covering Drag Race Season 15 with our extra special guest host, comedian and actress Erin McGaffey. So, in the words of Shania Twain, come on over and come on in to the world of Sissy That Pod, wherever you get your podcasts or on Headstuff Plus. And then we went and ate in, they have a restaurant on site. That restaurant was beautiful. So, it was like a big room, again, the long tables and really cosy and warm, a big fire and the windows looking out onto the valley all around. It was gorgeous. And then we had sort of a cider feasts there. So we had more of the traditional dishes. That was where we had the stew, the fabada, fabada, which is like the bean chorizo black pudding pudding, kind of stew. And 
Oh, we had the an onion stuffed with tuna. That was delicious. Yeah, that's a very traditional dish that I would you wouldn't find in other regions of Spain. I like, really like that. Yeah, everywhere we went, there was too much food. I yeah. know we were there in a press trip, so they wanted to show us everything, but there was huge portions. And the other thing we had there, which we got it everywhere we went, was rice pudding. Yeah, rice pudding is very popular because of the milk. And again, there we tried lots of sides, but they mostly poured for us their champagne style cider, yeah. which was called Alicia. Alicia. And it was a monovarietal, which they were saying, oh, you know, there's very few monovarietal, but it was delicious. It was gorgeous. It was really, really nice. But yeah, this 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 is a place to go if you're really keen on cider. What they missed yeah. there was a shop. Yeah. If they were like the other place that we went to, the yeah. Terra store, like yeah. we would have bought everything. Yeah. I was but like, you know, it's funny because, yeah, for us, like the shop, I, I always think like ple- people have a little shop, even if you don't sell it like maybe there, but maybe even have it online and get it delivered. But yeah, they had lovely stuff. It was great service. Great. Uh, the food was delicious. I love the rice pudding and I love the the, um, the favada. So just a little bit about favada. So this is a national dish of Asturias. But when people ask me, what's the tradi- what's the national food of Spain? I'm always like chickpeas. So Spain loves pulses. And that's why we use pressure cookers all the time, because we love lentils, chickpeas. So Italians have pasta. Spanish people have legumes. So when you think of Spanish cuisine, just pretend it's pasta and just add the same ingredients like okay. clams. So like I love there's a there's a recipe in Asturias, which is um, verdinas with clams. So it's a type of legume. We saw it. It's a little bit green. Yeah. But these legumes are fancy. And the ones that are PDO or, or PGI are so, so expensive. They're like a treat. Like I'm going to have these fancy PDO uh, faves, you know. So they are, I, lo- I love legumes. So, I bought yeah. a little stew set in the Terra yeah. store. So I still have to make that. Yeah. Because every time I go to do it, I'm like, oh, I have to soak those beans. Yeah. I keep on forgetting about that. do you have a that. pressure cooker? Yeah. But An like, instant pot or a... I have a pressure cooker, but like deeply afraid of it like from the 80s because I remember it'd be okay hiss- maybe you need to know a new one it'd be hissing away in the corner with the ham inside of it and a cabbage and I'd be like oh the smell yeah I don't have great memories of the pressure cooker no but get an instant pot like instant pot you leave it you put it it's it's very safe it's electric so I will try yeah I love I made Dee buy a, an instant pot because she cooks a lot of uh, Brazilian type uh, beans so I was saying save time don't spend you know all the time, um, you know, with the stove on, cooking your beans, save some energy and time. Especially now, (laughs) the current crisis. But so it was interesting that there was beans everywhere because, you know, it's something that we don't eat a whole lot of in Ireland, beans, lentils, more so these days, but really even growing up in Ireland, beans were baked beans. Yeah, You didn't Uh, necessarily eat chickpeas or anything. But the other thing that we saw and we should have more of here is the canned fish the conservas oh my god I am conserva woman I love conservas I'm just sometimes so lazy I'll just open a tin and have toast sardine toast but I mean our experience of them in Ireland is very much sardines yeah kind of stinky sardines and like you eat them for your health as opposed to necessarily for pure enjoyment and over the last few years definitely it's there's been I mean the guys over in Galway set up a canned fish shop online yeah yeah and that was where I had actually gotten this brand where we went to the factory which was called Agromar mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so in this uh, this city Gijon 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 
Gijon. We went yeah. to the port in Gijon. Yeah. And we went to the factory there, canned fish factory. And I was like, okay, this could go one way or the other. It's, mm. you know, with a factory comes sometimes. Sometimes it can be, yeah. Boring. No, this was amazing because like, yeah, it's a factory and we walk in and it's, uh, again, reminded me very much of Cork, Kerry, mm-hmm. the fishing ports. Um, even in Donegal, like Killy Beggs kind of vibe. Uh, the sa- it looks the same. It was raining, smells the same. And we went into this factory. It is a big white space, but inside it's actually just people doing everything. Everything. Well, not people. Women. Oh, there was one man. There was one, mostly yeah, women. The, yeah. It's a real female industry. But they were incredible. So they were, it was quiet time. So they were just doing the mussels. But they were hand picking them and putting them in jars, counting them well, so fast. Here, yeah. But it's not like there was machinery doing this. Yeah. So you think about now, I've such a respect now for the price that you pay for jarred and tinned good fish and then blown away when we were brought into the anchovy lady yeah the anchovy ladies are so in in spanish they're called sobadoras like kind of like sobad is to like touch very carefully but it's such a manual process no wonder they're so expensive but when people they're like when sometimes i hear people say oh i use these anchovies for cooking we're like no stop no like you do not use those fancy anchovies. Well, here's what I, works of art. Well, here's what I learned because she was. We went in and saw her. There was a woman on her own doing the anchovies, like processing them, mm. one by one, with beautiful backdrop of the sea behind yeah. her. It made a very nice picture, and she was sorting them out for the big kind of firmer ones. She was putting for the tin pile, and she was putting the lesser ones into the jar. Yeah. Now, I sometimes would be inclined to pick the ones in the jar. But everyone in Spain was like, oh, my God, get the can. Don't ever buy your anchovies in a jar. Buy it in the can. So, But it wasn't that they were. It was more like what I understood was that the jar ones are harder to get out. But if you look, they were saying they were like yeah. the bitty ones. And they're, they're more like small. And when you take them out, they break. So if you look in fancy like restaurants that serve conservas, they always have the tin. Yeah. And the tin is so easy to get out. Whereas the other one, you're always like breaking them and you spill. I spilled, I did a class and I spilled them on my, all the olive oil on my shoes and I had to, basically, they couldn't be used. They looked horrible. But yeah, so... The this the secret is to buy the tin and then you can get them out and, and eat them because you normally eat them like and she's hand pouring the oil in herself. Yeah, it's yeah. not like they're going through some yeah. now the mussels they were getting oil poured in and a machine, but she was hand pouring the yeah. anchovy stuff. It was brilliant. And yeah, really I mean I know it's become more of a trend to for us to enjoy and eat conservas and see them in restaurants certainly and you think about when you go to like in Uno Mass and you get the Gilda there and you're always like I don't know it's like 4 euro 4.50 you're like Jesus expensive but it's delicious now you sort of understand because I know they've got this really special anchovy on that stick and a really good olive Yeah, and And, in in the washerwoman also I don't know if they still do but they used to have the anchovy with the Irish butter and I love that combination it was delicious and they in the RH you know Marta at the RHA they do a little piece of sourdough with the anchovy just across it for their snacks unbelievably delicious and now I'm really thinking about my anchovies and where they're from and yeah I I bought a load of tins as well and this this industry is just so so many women so many 
grandmothers, mothers, people work in this industry because obviously men wouldn't be able to do this job. It's so it's so delicate. It's so specialized. But I love like seeing all the women working. It was just like almost like I felt like I was in some novel like, oh, wow, like or telenovela. It was so <laughs> incredible. And I was like, well, I wish I could ask all these women about their lives and what they cook. They were fascinated. We need to go back and interview these ladies. They were beautiful, beautiful ladies and so friendly and smiley. And They thought we were a bit yeah. mad though. They yeah. were like, why are you so excited by us putting mussels in a jar? Yeah. But yeah. we were. And we were excited to see where the tuna comes in because they were obviously huge workstations when the big chunks of tuna came in. And yeah. then um, the young guy who showed us around it, he's maybe third generation yeah. in, that, yeah. in, in that company. And he was telling us about the sea urchin caviar, oh, yeah. which oh. I bought some of as well. And that's like their caviar and it's the row from the sea urchin that's very special to them and they put it in tins and that yeah. was about like I paid like sixteen fifty mm. for it in Spain so imagine that would be like 20 something quid here easily yeah. haven't eaten it yet I'm saving no. it up I, that's a very fancy thing but he was saying that his family popularized it so it wasn't popular before but also it was interesting you think you can go to this to the seashore and go foraging but you can't like it's completely like in Spain, I can't just go and pick whatever I want. So he was saying now um, they've really reduced the amount of things that pickers can get and especially with sea urchins. So the price has gone up a lot. And they had a pate. I think I got the pate. Ali got the fancy one. I got the pate. No, I bought the because <laughs> uh, I thought he might give us the yeah, urchin and it, yeah, it wasn't in yeah. the goodie bag. So yeah. then when we went to the market, yeah, I was like, I. it's amazing to go to Spain with Blanca because I like know so little about Spanish food and she will just be like that's the good one get that get that get that so I basically bought whatever you pointed at yeah I hope she likes it because I made you also buy so the fanciest conserva right now mm. is Mar, and it's also in Asturias we didn't visit it but this is a restaurant that decided to invest in canning their own charcoal braised uh, conservas and everybody in America well first of all the sardine fluencer I don't know if you follow him on Instagram, but he raves about him. The New York Times, the Sardi bon Sardine Fluencer, the Sardine Fluencer, and there's it. also one in Spain called El Catalatas that you can follow, and he eats tins and he reviews them. But yeah, <laughs> Guayumar is the fancy one. It's like the one where you can say, "I didn't bring you a bottle of wine; I brought you this." They are delicious. I bought a tin of razor clams yeah and I ate them at the weekend and they were just divine didn't have anything with it just picked them out just, of the tin yeah. and ate it and I had some um, Spanish Chardonnay that I brought home and I had that with it tried it with a bit of sherry it was delicious the, those those racer clams I don't know how he's developed this technique because it's obviously you know nobody it, else but it's still it was in the tin but it still tasted smoky you knew yeah. it had been cooked on the charcoal yeah but Oh, they were gorgeous. So I have a few more tins to work through. Yeah. So I'll be updating yeah, it as yeah, I yeah. go. We need to do a tin event. But uh, yeah, no, the the tins. So Asturias, another place for tins. We've um, we've in the north of Spain and also in Andalusia. But every region has like a specialty. But the biggest thing we haven't talked about yet, my favorite, is the cheese. Oh, cheese, my cheese, goodness, cheese, the cheese. Yeah, I think I'm very proud of the Irish cheese culture. We have amazing cheese, but this place blew me away. Am I right in saying? that Asturias is the biggest concentration of cheesemakers in the world. That's what they that they were saying. I haven't like I haven't looked to see if that's I mean there's a lot of cheeses in Asturias compared to the rest of Spain because there's a lot of cows, there's a lot of mountains. So if you look at the plains like where we have Manchego in La Mancha, it's 
mostly sheep. So Spain is all about the sheep's milk. But the cheese so, yeah. that we tasted from here, I'd never had before. Like I haven't seen it in Ireland or in the UK or anywhere else. And it was, we, first of all, we went to a cheese maker. It was called um, La Peral. Yeah, La Peral. Yeah, yeah, and that was the, hold for the pronunciation, that was Cabrelas. It was, it wasn't Cabrales, it was, there, it was blue cheese. Okay. But it was, a, it was, was a farmhouse, it was, it wasn't like part of a PDO, it was a farmhouse cheese. And the woman, we were talking about like, oh my goodness, this is like those Irish famous women who make cheese. Yeah. She was like such a commanding like presence. She knew so much about cheese. She had her own, you know, ideas about how cheese has to be made. And I used to import when I worked in, in Chicago, we used to import that cheese. And this cheese has like it's very good for the price. So people loved it. But they also make now blue cheese with sheep's milk, goat's milk. And but, the new generation has arrived. So the Cabralas is the blue cheese from the area that is there's lots of yeah. that. Yeah. That was delicious. That's a PDO, yeah. And like, I mean, you can't help but always compare it to the cheese that you know, yeah. which is Irish cheese. And a lot of them, it's kind of like cashel. Yeah, it's so like cashel. Yeah. Creamy and a bit crumbly and very easy to eat. Probably more pungent than some of our blues. Yeah. yeah so we don't yeah. have that many blues. But then the other one that we got really excited about is the Ray Silo. Oh, yeah. So, so but you're forgetting to tell them we oh. met with the best uh, cheese monger Aitor Vega and he was we well we met him in Madrid Fusion he was Spanish uh, Kevin Sheridan yeah and then he's also in Asturias but uh, he was saying how he had like an epiphany and he, he inherited I guess his family cheese monger and he wasn't very excited about it but then after seeing what was going on in Madrid with new cheese mongers he's become the expert and he did a tasting and it was so good and he's such a warm kind like he's such a nice warm person and like I don't know he made it so yeah. easy even though he was using some terminology when he was talking about especially Ray Silo we'll talk about that cheese he just made it all very easy and he was he I loved his cheese tasting like 12 13 cheeses yeah. and that was like a tiny representation of the yeah. cheese from the yeah. area you could 100% go on a few cheese holidays. Oh, definitely. But the cheese that we love the most was uh, made, it's called Rey Silo. And it's, um, it was a cow's milk one. Yeah, it's raw milk, raw cow's raw milk. Raw milk, but it's similar to a PDO called Afuega el Pitu, another difficult name to remember. And there's a version that has paprika, a hot like yeah. pimenton one. But the Rey Silo is like a... It, the shape of it, it's like a flattened cone. Yeah. And it comes in this cute box that opens up like a little, like a box. little um, pastry box. Yeah. Really yeah. nicely done. And then the, when I brought it home, it was so smelly on my in my luggage. It was delightful. But when I got it home, then I was like, did something go wrong? But that's the texture of yeah. it. So yeah. inside, it's like this got this really yellow rind. And then inside, it's really crumbly. But they said they press it together. Remember, he said like some of the, so Rey Silo and Afuega el Pito, they press it together because you can also get some that are not as compressed oh, but this delicious. cheese is made by the, the person behind this this factory is Jose Andres the chef and who's, I'm like of course you know who else is going to make this cheese but he's from a story yes yeah 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 but it was really divine but I also love the PDO ones the PDO ones were made with pasteurized milk yeah yeah but yeah, and there was, was one that I uh, I'm going to try and pronounce it again I can't remember what the name was Gio de Lazna 
Geo de Lanza. Well, that yeah. was the one that yeah. I kept saying reminded me of Duras. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. very much looked like those West Cork um, semi-soft washed rind yeah. cheeses that we have that are a little bit creamy and have little holes in them. And yeah. I, I mean, the thing is, I kept on comparing it, but then thinking about when I looked into the history of them, the cheesemaker we went to La Perla was only set up in the 1920s and they yeah. thought that was a new cheese in Spain. Yeah. So yeah. their cheese tradition goes back hundreds of years, whereas our farmhouse cheeses have only been around since the 70s. Yeah. So, I mean, we probably have loads to learn from them. But what I thought was interesting was it felt to me that whereas in other parts of Spain, cheesemakers try to go with the PDO, it seemed that in Asturias there's a lot of people making their own cheese. They just do their own thing. And I love that. And I I, I really, I think that that's, you know, that's great. We don't all have to be, oh, let's all make Manchego and Parmigiano-Reggiano. We want to have cool different cheeses also yeah. the fun they had because like within the cheese tasting we had one of them had nuts in it so it had like hazelnuts yeah. in it one of them was washed in cider and that you could taste really lovely, it yeah. and then obviously you mentioned the paprika cheeses so yeah. I bought one by accident with paprika and opened it at home and I was like that's a bit hot yeah it was very hot hot, hot for me yeah 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 Probably it was very for... hot yeah no but I love the cheeses I think uh, there, there's a similarity something that you're like oh my goodness there's some echoes like that you can see between Ireland and 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 Asturias in the cheeses you're like wow this is similar like you were saying like this is similar to this this is we should do like one day uh yeah like for like and when but, we went uh, when we went to the farm um we didn't even talk about that we went to beef farm and even that looked like you were in Cork or Kerry yeah. it was lush green fields beautiful sea backdrop behind it the farmer could have been Irish and lovely cattle like they were yeah. kind of um, they're their Asturian Valley cattle. Yeah, yeah. They were sort of chestnut, a little bit hairy, but they had like dark eyes, like dark features, like a Jersey cow. They, they were, were, they looked nice. That was they? really nice. And it was really interesting also meeting the farmer who had been a mechanic, but then he decided to come back to the land. And then we started talking about something that I find fascinating. Maybe some people don't. Uh, maybe my lawyer friends do, but inheritance. So... I was telling Ali in Spain, you by law you have to leave your your inheritance to your children. So there's no vehicle by which you could say one of my kids is going to inherit the farm. So it means that farm has to be divided. Yeah, it has to be well. It has to be. You can't say in Ireland you can say I'm going to leave it to this son because there's a way to do that. But in Spain you have to leave it to all the children. Of course, the other children could could say. Oh, uh, you know, we'll let my brother take it. But it makes a lot of the times farming and, you know, more complicated. And you see that in wine regions, in olive oil regions where you you end up with a very small plot of land. But but it also means that more women have like in like going to farming. But that, that was really interesting. So when we were talking to him, he was saying, oh, I'm lucky because I'm an only child. And then my father, his brothers renounced the farm. Okay. And this farm was just in the most amazing location. Beautiful. Like I would be a farmer there any day. It was just like the view. You could see there was like a cove that you could go swimming. It was just, yeah, like with a farm like that. So he felt very lucky that he was like, well, I'm an only child. So, and he had a small baby. So it was really interesting to meet this is a, a PGI, a, a veal PGI. It was really interesting to meet him and, and to see like the cows right there. And there were small yeah. herds like yeah. they were. He had like 16, 17. Yeah. And I think yeah. a lot of them were like that. So there was similarities to some parts of Irish farming as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. It wasn't yeah, a commercial um, enterprise by any means. 
But anyway, and what else would you say? Would you like to go there hiking, Ali? I was thinking hiking. Definitely. I think another thing is the Camino. Like, so yeah. the Camino Norte starts in Oviedo. And as you know, for those of you who have done parts of the Camino, that is the one that gives you the most kudos. If you say you come from Oviedo, you know, if you come from okay. the Camino Frances, so it's a tough uh, walk. I haven't done that one. I really would love to do it. But um, the Camino Norte starts there. So you can see some symbols of the Camino in, in the city. But I would say that uh, hiking there must be amazing. I feel like you could have a really wholesome holiday where you could do loads of hiking during the day and then you could just eat cheese and drink and, yeah, cider yeah, every yeah. evening and then get up and hike again, go for some nice swims. Wouldn't be yeah. too hot. Yeah. yeah. And then the last thing we did that we really loved was also we went to a cafe and like we were looking at the old ladies having their coffee and their pastries. And this is something that I always um, think is Spain is so different. And I noticed one of the journalists from Germany was saying, I don't get Spanish pastries. <laughs> <laughs> So basically in there's Spain, there's loads of egg. There's lots of egg and people egg. are like, it's like egg yolk and, and meringue, but not hard meringue, soft meringue. So you go to a pastry shop in Spain and it's just like egg yolks and egg whites. And a lot of people say, wait, hold on, where are the figs? Where are the apples? And we're, oh, no, we don't do this. And one of the reasons is because that was the glamorous thing to eat because it was expensive. Okay. And also because they used, in some regions of Spain, they used the egg whites to clarify wine. There were so many egg yolks. Oh, wow. And then you end up with flan made with egg yolk, or you end up eating egg yolk, candied egg yolk, or uh, huevo hilado, which is this threaded egg yolk. So I think, you know, people <laughs> like, why, why is there so much egg yolk in Spain? But it's mainly because of that. And we love those pastries. I ate those little egg yolk pastries, and yeah. I got a lovely tall meringue and... Yeah. Yeah, I had a few good few tasters. But I noticed this place, they've um, developed this product, which is more like, I guess, modern, which is an almond. Uh, it's called Moscovitas, and it was an almond and chocolate. But this is like a little bit different to like what we traditionally in baking in, in pastry shops. But it was a lovely, uh, it was called Rialto, and Ali was laughing uh, about the name. <laughs> She's like... Rialto. Yeah. No, no, I can't say it like you, Blanca, but I was like... Rialto. Yeah, it's like, looks just like Rialto. But of course, yeah. Rialto in Dublin is named after Italy. I, I would imagine so, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was like Venice with the canals, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Might have made that bit up, but Irish something along those lines. these names, yeah. But anyway, it was lovely to see like how this traditional bakery have moved on to doing modern things and now they're exporting them and they were really, really lovely. Um, but anyway... I think we're running out of time. Is there anything else, Ali? Oh, just, I, I want to go back. I don't think, yeah, I, I, know, wanna, I know we ate a lot, but there was loads of things I'd like to try out more. And yeah, you'd need a good week there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I really want to go back and do more of the cheeses and maybe go to the smaller, more artisan cheesemakers. I know that the cheese guy told us about a little village where they make mm. loads of different cheeses. Yeah. Like, just sounds dreamy. Yeah, I want to go to Cabrales to visit where they make that really, really strong blue cheese that's been always a dream of mine to go there yeah and then yeah. just drink more cider and yeah I really enjoyed it I definitely want to go again yeah so definitely uh, if you have any comments uh, write to us or our website is spicebagspodcast.ie if you have any questions you can contact us on Instagram we're at spicebagspod and on Twitter but anyway it was really lovely to have you here Ali and we've run out of time. 
But maybe Ali and I should, Ali, I was telling Ali we should do something more related to traveling. Um, because, you know, Ali loves traveling and she's uh, she does a lot of traveling in Ireland also. But uh, she's I always see her. I always hate her on Instagram. She's like in Poland or London. But uh, anyway, it was lovely to talk to you about traveling in Spain. And we just wanted to thank Asturex and Ethex yes. for this trip we learned so much and we're definitely we're definitely coming back very soon thank you and my hot tip is bring Blanca on your Spanish holidays <laughs> with you <laughs> so she can translate she can order the food and she gives you all the historical information it's just you need Blanca on your trip <laughs> thank you I'll put my rates up on Instagram <laughs> thank you thanks, thanks. bye This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.